0: Their razors provide a smooth shave every time. And their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest Therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.comslash help, gold. The Peter Schiff Show. Today, President Trump announced some of the details of his highly anticipated tax reform, which is really not tax reform. It's more of a tax cut masquerading as a reform. I would say the best part about it is the elimination of the estate tax. I mean, that in and of itself is a, a very substantial improvement. That tax should not be there. It's a horrible tax. It raises very little revenue, but does tremendous damage, particularly to businesses. It in, impedes the ability of a family business be passed down from generation to generation, it leads to the destruction and the dismantling of businesses, to the loss of know-how and ingenuity and jobs, and it's just a horrible tax that has a basis of nothing other than envy and greed, and it appeals to the lowest. Uh, it's unfair uh, that some people to inherit money when others don't, and so let's let's take that when the people who are just born with uh you know in the in the lucky sperm, but when you get beyond all that you know envy uh you see the real benefit of the ability of a a businessman of an individual to be able to think and invest beyond his own lifetime to build a business for his children, for his grandchildren, and for his grandchildren's grandchildren, and keeping these businesses uh going uh passing down the know how and the capital from generation to generation, benefits everybody. Nobody benefits when a business has to be liquidated to pay an estate tax. Nobody benefits when people have to shorten their time horizons and they can't make long-term investments that extend beyond their own lifetime. So getting rid of the estate tax is a, a very big plus And it is the best, the best thing about this tax. And it doesn't add to the deficit. Again, the estate tax generates very little revenue. Uh, for the government, it generates lots of revenue for lawyers and, you know, and estate planners who can find the tax. I have personally spent a lot of money on estate planning, trying to set up trusts so that my children can inherit more of the money that I earned. I would, you know, all this money was a waste. It didn't have to be spent if there was no inheritance tax. Now, if the inheritance tax goes away, then maybe I wasted all that money. But of course, just because the inheritance tax goes away under Trump, doesn't mean it can't come back in four years under another president because no tax cut is permanent. And so even if they get rid of it, I'm not going to believe it, you know that it's not going to be resurrected. So I'm obviously I'm not going to abandon the, the trust that I've already set up. But to the extent that we get rid of this horrible tax, that is a good thing. Now as far as the rest of the plan, Yeah, I like lower taxes. I like uh, fewer brackets. I'd like to have just one bracket, right, to have a flat tax, although I'd like to flatten it all the way to zero. But under the president's plan, there are 12, 25, and 35. I just assume it'd be one bracket of 25, right? If we're going to have an income tax, let's make everybody pay the same rate. Um, You know, that way, you know, you don't have one group of people voting to tax another group of people. But it is an improvement over the number of brackets we have now. But again, remember, some future president could just expand on these brackets. And, you know, it's happened before. We, you know, we reduce the number of brackets and then all of a sudden then we get more creeping right back in. So that will probably happen. In fact, we're already talking about now adding a fourth bracket because the highest bracket at 35 percent represents a reduction of the current top rate of 39.6 of course the top rate is not 39.6 you got to add the 3.9 percent Obamacare tax and of course a lot of people have to add the state income taxes which by the way if this passes will no longer be deductible that seems to be the one uh, deduction that they were willing to give up is state and local taxes but they preserve the home mortgage deduction I mean personally I'd rather see it be the other way around get rid of the home mortgage deduction, and allow people to deduct their state income taxes? Because I've got a problem with taxing people on money they never got, right? If the state taxes you, you never get that money. Why should the federal government tax you on the money that you never got, that the state took from you before you had a chance to get it? I, I mean, I think that, that that is a bad idea. I, dis, I, I did another podcast on that. I, I disagree. I think if you're going to tax income, you can't tax the income that was taken from the citizens by the state before they got it. Uh, in fact, it may even be unconstitutional. It's infringement on states' rights. I, I, you know, but of course, the, the judges never really enforced the Constitution anyway. But why, why keep the home mortgage deduction? It's all politics. That deduction is bad. It's bad economics. If we're going to have an income tax, don't deduct from their income what they choose to spend on mortgage interest. See, that's a choice. You don't have a choice about whether or not to pay your state taxes. You live in the state of Connecticut. You know, you earn income in the state of Connecticut. You got to buy that tax. There's nothing that says you have to buy a house and there's nothing that says you have to take out a mortgage on your house. That's a decision that you make. That's a choice. That's how you spend your money, right? So you shouldn't get a deduction on your income tax based on the way that you choose to spend your money. That's the government trying to micromanage your decisions, try to distort and influence the economy. It should stop. But you have the the housing industry, Is a big factor and they come in there and they influence the tax code. So it's because of the swap creatures that the mortgage interest deduction is there. Now, the the standard deduction is doubled. and, And so what this means is to the extent that more people now utilize the standard deduction, fewer people will itemize. And of course, itemizing is less advantageous because you can't include your state and local taxes. Now, if you own real estate, Right now, you deduct not only your mortgage interest, but your property taxes. You can no longer deduct your property taxes. And so obviously that will reduce the value of real estate because it increases the after-tax cost of owning it because you can no longer deduct from your federal tax the, the cost of your property tax. But also, it will mean that more people will choose to take the standard deduction rather than itemize because you've reduced the value of the itemizing deduction because it's just your mortgage interest. It's no longer your property taxes. But now you've increased the value of the standard deduction. So that means fewer people will have a tax-based incentive to buy a home, right? Fewer moderate income people, people that are earning $40,000, $60,000 a year that have, you know, two or three kids, Fewer of those households will be incentivized by the tax code to buy a house, which means more of those households will rent. And so it's still going to hurt the real estate market, just not as much as it would have hurt the real estate market had they got rid of the uh, deduction completely. But, you know, the the other problem with, uh, with this is that I believe that it is going to complicate the tax code, not simplify it. I mean, Trump is out there trumpeting this as... You know, this is a major tax reform. It's going to make things a lot simpler. I don't think it's going to make it simpler at all. I think it's actually going to make the tax code more complex, apart from the fact that we're getting rid of the estate tax. I mean, that is, again, that's, that's a big deal. But let's set that aside and just look at the income tax component. And I think the income tax component is going to be more complex if this particular bill were passed, you know, in its current form. I think it would be tax complication and not tax implication. And by the way, you know, when Trump did his press conference today uh, to announce this plan, just he started off, the very first thing he talked about was he took credit for the historically low rate of unemployment. He's like, unemployment is the lowest it's been in 16 years. This is fantastic. The economy is booming. I cannot stand this. I can't. It just boils my blood when you have a candidate who ran and said the biggest fraud is the low unemployment statistics. This is a lie. This is a con. The real right is 30%. The real right is 40%. The politicians are lying to you. And now he's telling the same lie. Now he's perpetuating the same con. It's the same fraud. The hypocrisy just makes me doubt everything he says. I can't stand it. That's the one thing that that pisses me off more than anything else is hypocrisy. Trump is being a massive hypocrite when he takes credit for the very low unemployment that he criticized Obama for. Nothing has changed; it's the same numbers. If it was phony, then it's phony now. So Trump is the phony. It's unfortunate, uh, you know. And, and some of you are pissed off at me because now I'm against Trump. Look, you know, I was never that enthusiastically in favor of him, but you know, I, I liked him better than Clinton, and I still look. I agree with him on uh the nfl in fact my wife we're, we're boycotting i mean she's a big fan she loves uh tom brady and new england patriots i mean she loves watching football she won't let me watch football anymore so we're now boycotting the nfl and this is a little bit of a side note but look you know i think trump is right to call out uh the nfl now i believe in the first amendment right and i certainly believe that the the nfl if they don't want their players to stand for the national anthem, if they want to let them, you know, get on their knees or, you know, if they want them to drop their pants and moon, I mean, you know, they're allowed to do that. If that's what, if that's what they want to do. Right. But the fans, they don't have to, they don't have to buy kids. And I think that if you're going to play the national anthem and there's no requirement that they start a football game with the national anthem, right? I mean, but they choose the NFL chooses to do that. And that is an appeal to patriotism. And if you're going to play that anthem and you're going to announce, please stand for our national anthem, and the players on the field are not going to stand, I mean, that's a problem. I mean, if you're not going to tell your players to stand, then don't play the national anthem or play the anthem before they take the field. But this idea that you're going to have these players disrespect the very flag that everybody in the audience is standing Uh, you know, to, to honor. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I can see why people would get mad. And, you know, the NFL, the NFL should, should not allow it. I mean, look, I mean, people say, well, the, the players have a first amendment, right? Yeah, they do, but they're on the job. This, you know, they're on the clock. They're being paid. I mean, you can't just show up at your job, at your office and demand your right to protest. I mean, your boss can tell you what you can do while he's paying you, while you're on the clock. You you don't have your First Amendment rights to say whatever you want when you are working, when you are being paid, right? You, you have your First Amendment rights on your own time, on the weekends, after hours, right? But even these NFL players, they have clauses in their contracts because they're public figures. They represent the team. They represent their sponsors. So even there, there's a limit to what they can say Publicly, because it might taint their image, and they've got you know morals clauses in their contracts, so you know they don't really have the First Amendment rights to just you know to to just do whatever they want in a football stadium. But it's the the owners of the teams that need to do that. So if the owners of the teams are going to allow their players to you know have political protests and you know and do disrespect the flag, if they want to allow that, then they're allowed to do it because they're the boss. They're the ones that are, uh, they own the business, they are paying the players. And the fact that they're allowing it, and Trump was angry. He says, why, doesn't they, why don't they fire? Why doesn't one of these owners fire one of these players? Yeah, and, you know, and I would agree. And to think that they can't control them, everything they control. You know, these guys, if they celebrate too much in the end zone, right, they get, there's a, there's a penalty for that. They control what the players do. And of course, they control how they play the game how they have to drop into a stance how many men are on the field you know how they can hit you you know uh, you know what kind of blocks are legal what kind of blocks are illegal I mean they do all kinds of things they they control so many aspects of the players game you don't think they can say and by the way when we play the national anthem you stand up and you know you look like you you respect the country whether you do or not you're gonna pretend that you do look look I Nobody is probably angrier at the U.S. government than me. And look at what the U.S. government did to my father, how they basically murdered my father, right? So I have a lot of contempt for our government, but I love the country and there's a difference. And I don't necessarily love what the country has become, but I love what the country stands for in theory. And I'm proud of my American heritage. And whenever I go to a football game and they play the national anthem, I'm standing up because I understand what that song represents. I understand what that flag represents. Even if I don't like the government that is running this country, the government is different from the country. The government is different from the flag and the anthem that signifies what the country stands for and what many people died for in the past. So you gotta respect that. But you know what? If you're gonna play that national anthem in a a football and you're gonna claim this is America's sport, you're gonna wrap yourself in the flag when you play the anthem, and you want to kind of market the NFL as being American because there's always that, you know, the, America's pastime, baseball, right? There's always that, that uh, you know, conflict between which, what's America's sport or is it football? And football's been trying to, you know, win uh, th- that spot because baseball was always seen as an American sport, the national pastime. And so football, you know, kind of challenged baseball. And one of the ways they wanted to appeal to that is, uh, you know, with bringing in the national anthem and, and, and bringing in all that stuff. So if you're going to do that, then, you know, you make sure that your players uh, are, are representing that flag. And the fact that they're not doing it, uh, to me, I agree. If mean, people aren't, aren't uh, watching these games, then don't watch it. Just show uh, the NFL that, you know, you don't, you, you don't disrespect what America stands for when you're trying to claim that you're all patriotic and you're all, this is all America, and then you're going to put people through that. And it's not about the First Amendment because the NFL has the right to express this opinion and the fans have the right to express their disgust because you know what? These are football stadiums. This is not a place for politics. People are going there to watch a football game. It's a sport. There shouldn't be a a debate about politics. There's a there's a time and there's a place for that. They should keep football about football and let you know, Democrats and Republicans go to the football game and enjoy the football game. And if they're going to play the national anthem, they can all put their political differences aside and they can stand and show some respect. And if the people in the stands don't want to do it, obviously the NFL they cannot force the, the fans who bought tickets to stand up, but they can force their players who they're playing multi-million dollar salaries who are standing there on the field for everybody to see. They, can, they should be making them stand up. And the fact that they're not, well, you know, I think that says a lot, and I, you know, I, I agree with the, the sentiment that people are, are boycott. But let me get back cause this is not really what I wanted to spend the podcast talking about. I want to get back to um, the tax cut. But I just want to say that, look, if I agree with Trump, I will say I agree with him. If I disagree with him, then I'm going to say that. You know in fact, one thing that I really disagree with Trump on is he refused. ...to grant a waiver for the Jones Act to Puerto Rico, which is a horrible decision. I mean, first of all, they should repeal the Jones Act. But at a minimum, they should suspend it uh, for the next year or two while Puerto Rico is rebuilding. Because all of the basic materials that they need and the basic supplies that they need need to be imported. And why force the cost of those imports to go through the roof uh, with the Jones Act? And, of course... It will make the the bailout easier. I mean, because ultimately, right, the U.S. government is going to be spending money to bail out Puerto Rico. Well, the bailout will be less expensive if they can uh, suspend the Jones Act. You know, why is the president thinking that the jobs of like 1,400 merchant marines are more important than the lives of 3.5 million Americans who are trapped in Puerto Rico right now? Why can't they trade with the entire world? Why can't ships bring cargo from all over the world to Puerto Rico? Why do they have to go to the United States, unload and reload, and put them on an American ship where the costs are much higher and the process takes much longer? To me, it just shows Trump is in the pockets of big labor. He is making a political decision. He doesn't want to go against his base. He doesn't want to go against organized labor, American jobs, even though this is not that many jobs and the damage that's done. In fact, if you want to go back to day one, the Jones Act has done a lot more damage, economic damage, to Puerto Rico than Hurricane Maria. That's the reality, uh, and the fact that Trump is not going to relieve the island of that hardship during this very very difficult time just shows you how big politics weigh in his decisions, and how and captive he is. Like he said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna drain the swamp." This is what a swamp creature would do, and you know, there's a lot of political cover. I mean, even if, you know, you're afraid to go against organized labor, the humanitarian crisis going on in Puerto Rico right now gives you the cover. I mean, anybody can say, look, look, we got to do this. Look, look at these pictures. There's no, there's no water. There's no power. There's no phone. There's no internet. The place has been leveled. We've got to do this. Everybody would forgive it. But he is standing tough. He is saying, "Uh uh-uh, I am going to preserve the profits and the wages of this small industry at the expense of all these people in Puerto Rico. I don't care about the free market. I don't care, about. I'm a protectionist. That's who I am, and I'm going to protect these jobs over all else, no matter how much economic damage it does. And that really shows you what we are dealing with. But let me get back to the tax bill and why I think that it is going to complicate rather than simplify the the current tax system. So they're going to go to three brackets, 12, uh, 25, and 35. And by the way, they're actually increasing the lower bracket from 10 to 12, and they're reducing the highest bracket from 39.6 to 35. That, I think, is going to have some political problems, even though they are doubling the standard deduction, which means that most people that are in the 12% bracket will still get a tax cut because they're going to be paying 12% on a smaller number because more of their income is going to be exempt completely uh, from tax, but it's still optically. It's not going to look good, right? We're raising the bottom and we're lowering the top. So that, that's that I don't think the optics of that are very good. I don't know, you know, you know, what made them, what made them do that. Um, But here's going to be the problem. They, uh, they lower the corporate tax rate to 20%. That's good. I'm all for that. I mean, the corporate tax rate should be zero. So 20% is closer to zero than 35. So hey, I'm all fine with cutting the corporate tax rate. But they cut the pass-through tax rate, which has nothing to do with the corporate tax rate. And they're cutting that from the current top rate of 39.6 down to 25. And they're doing this in theory to help small business. Well, in theory, small business will already benefit from lower taxes because the pass-through rate, right? If you have an LLC or an S-corp, the taxes are based on your personal rate. So if you're a small business owner and you're running a small business and your income is only 50000 a year, you're going to pay tax at the that's somebody that earns $50,000 a year, which is much lower than, let's say, if you're running a business and you're earning a million dollars a year. If you're running a business and earning a million dollars a year, well, then you're going to pay at the higher rate. So the tax code, the way it's now, if you run a small business and you really are small, you're not paying the 39.6%. You're only you're only paying that if you're running a small business in a way that makes you a lot of money, right? So you get into the into the upper bracket. Well, what this plan does is it says that well, if you organize yourself into a LLC uh, or S corp, your top bracket is thirty five is twenty five percent. But if you get wages and salary, now there you have a big incentive, right, for people. Who are currently being paid wages to uh, resign, incorporate, and work as independent contractors to lower their uh, tax bracket. And obviously there are already a lot of people, wealthy people, who are operating LLCs, whether they're lawyers, accountants, hedge fund managers, who are paying taxes uh, at the 39% rate, who would now be paying taxes under the 25% rate. Now what I've read is that there are plans to deal with this? That they are going to have all sorts of rules and regulations to try to make it more difficult for people to game the system. Uh, so they're going to try to exempt maybe certain types of income from being qualified for the um, the lower tax. So I, you know, maybe certain service in, income uh, won't qualify. And of course, maybe they're going to require that if you work for your own LLC, that you have to pay yourself a marketable wage uh, before you can pay yourself a profit. So meaning, let's say you run an LLC, uh, and you're the the CEO of your own LLC, well, you have to pay yourself a market-based salary before you can pay yourself a profitable distribution, because the market-based salary would be subject to the the higher rate, plus it would also be subject to payroll taxes, whereas the the, the profit distribution would not be subject to the payroll tax, Uh, it would be subject to, and it would be subject to the lower marginal tax, so they're going to try to say, well, you know, you have to pay this, but all that means accountants and lawyers and audits to try to determine, is the rate of compensation that you're paying yourself, is it uh, accurate, are you paying yourself too little? How do you justify it? What are the comps? And then, of course, if they're going to have all kinds of safeguards and all kinds of ways that the IRS can can disallow whether or not your income is in fact subject to the 25% pass-through rate or the 35% ordinary tax rate, right? If the government is going to come up with these safeguards, then accountants are going to come up with ways around them, right? Because the minute you set up a a differential. The minute you say if you earn your taxes, if you earn your income a certain way, right, you're going to pay a lower tax. Well, everybody wants to pay the lower tax. So everybody is going to try to convert their income. That's why a lot of these projections about how much the deficits are going to be impacted are wrong because they don't understand how the tax changes themselves influence income. So all of a sudden, a lot of people who you thought were going to pay 35% because they were in the top bracket, all of a sudden they're only going to pay 25% because they are going to successfully uh, you know, circumvent whatever these safeguards are. Because believe me, if the lawyers and the accountants are working with Congress on these rules and regulations, there are going to be ways around them. So what's going to happen is higher income taxpayers are going to end up paying accountants and lawyers all sorts of money to find a way to game the system and to get around whatever roadblocks they put in there to prevent people from getting out of the 35% bracket and into the 25% bracket. You know that is going to happen. And so it's going to mean that the tax code and the tax laws are a lot more complicated, and it's going to mean that people, individuals, are going to end up spending a lot more money. They're going to be paying their accountants and their lawyers a lot more money to do their taxes because if they do them right, and they take advantage of whatever new loopholes get built in, they will be able to have a serious reduction in their tax. And obviously, some of that tax savings is going to be siphoned off uh, by the tax industry, who will likely be in favor of this. So again, I've said this before, always beware whenever a politician is saying, tax simplification, we're going to make things simple. They're not, right? They're going to make things more complicated. Just like the Patriot Act was unpatriotic, right? Tax simplification is tax complication, and that's this thing is already shaping up to be that. But what it really isn't is tax reform. Apart from the, the elimination of the estate tax and the lowering of the corporate tax, that's a little bit of a reform. But there's very little in this, or nothing in this, that's really going to transform our economy from consumption and borrowing to savings, investment, you know, capital uh, formation. That's not happening. We're not moving from an income-based system to a consumption-based system. We're not really broadening the base. We're not going to a flat. So I don't know why you call this tax reform. They're tax cuts, net tax cuts, and that means a loss of revenue to the government, which normally I don't care. I'm fine with the government losing revenue, but not if the government is not cutting expenses. They're going to continue to spend more money, right? They're going to continue to run bigger and bigger deficits. The deficits are going to blow through the roof. Uh, as a result of these tax cuts and the increased government spending that's likely to accompany them, uh, not only for the bailouts and the disaster relief, but all the infrastructure spending and building the wall and beefing up the military. And of course, as the economy goes into recession, uh, we're going to have bigger and bigger deficits. Now, moving on, I want to go backwards to the Fed and Janet Yellen because she was, uh, gave an interview yesterday, which the markets interpreted as being very bullish uh, in fact, the odds of a December rate hike notched up a bit. The dollar strength and gold was down about ten bucks, and it was down about another ten bucks today. I think also a lot of that was enthusiasm for the tax cuts being announced, because you know these tax cuts are seen as being bullish for the U.S. economy, and so therefore bullish for the dollar. And so we're now back down to twelve eighty-three or so on the price of of gold based on the tax cuts and and based on uh, you know, Janet Yellen's supposedly hawkish tone when she spoke yesterday. But you know I didn't think she was being hawkish at all. I don't know why the markets were thinking that. I mean, she did say that there was a danger of the Fed raising rates too slowly. But she said there was a danger of them raising them too quickly also. And I think that's what the Fed is more worried about. In fact, Janet Yellen talked at length about inflation basically said she had no idea why it was as low as it was she basically said we don't really understand inflation which is one of the true things she said i mean the fed doesn't seem to understand anything but they certainly don't understand inflation but the one thing that seems to worry yellen is that inflation won't be high enough that's the that's what keeps her up at night that it's going to be too low it's the reverse inflation is going to be too high that's what's going to come back and kill the fed because that's what they should be worrying about. Because if inflation is too high, they're stuck. They can't raise rates to try to rein it in because there's too much debt. The asset bubbles are too big. So they better hope that inflation stays low. And in fact, one of the things that Yellen said I thought was very dovish is she reiterated that 2% is not a ceiling and that they're willing to allow inflation to overshoot 2% because they look at the overshoots the same they looked at the undershoots. So since we had inflation at 1% for a while, at least the way the government measures it, as far as Janet Yellen is concerned, we can have 3% inflation for a while because 3% and 1% average out to 2 And what she said she's looking for is 2% inflation on average over time. So what Yellen was saying is if inflation is 25 or 3%, we're not going to slam on the brakes because you know we're just going to look at that as the flip side of what we had before, and we're just looking at a mean. So to me, that would be very dovish because it doesn't mean that they're going to have to raise rates faster just because measured inflation goes up to 25 or or 3%. But the markets didn't seem to care about that. They seemed to focus on the fact that she did say that there is some danger of moving too slowly, which is a vast understatement because they've already moved too slowly and the dangers are already there. It's just that the whole thing hasn't completely blown up yet, but they already moved too slow. They, the rates should be a lot higher than they are right now. They should have already started to shrink the balance sheet. The balance sheet should be a lot smaller. Of course, had they done all those things, we would have already produced another financial crisis. So the reason the Fed has gone so slow is because they're afraid to go any faster. So they've gone about as slow as they thought they could get away with, but nonetheless, the damage has been done And the damage has been exacerbated by the fact that rates have remained this low for this long so that the debt is so much bigger now than it was before. The problems are so much bigger now than they were before. Yet Janet Yellen and her cronies at the Fed uh, have no idea. And by the way, you know, she's still on the short list to be reappointed, right? I mean, there's a couple of other people that Trump is apparently considering to replace Yellen. But she's there. I mean, she's, you know, she's got a very good chance— of being a being reappointed according to the odds or according to Trump. But of course, that's the opposite of uh, what Trump says at a candidate. But Yellen and the Fed, they're completely clueless, at least publicly, uh, on, on what's going on. The question is, do they actually believe what they're saying or do they realize? I mean, did they go so slowly because they were really afraid to go faster because they knew how vulnerable we were? or they just really not have any idea? I mean, there's no way to know for sure whether it's incompetence, whether it's ignorance, you know, whether they they actually understand how bad things are, but they're just lying about it because they don't want to tell the truth, because they're afraid to tell the truth, and because they feel their job is really just to, as you know, to hype everything up, and they're really like a propaganda administration, and they're just trying to say good things to make us feel good, to try to hold off the crisis and instill as much confidence as possible, even though they have no confidence themselves. There's no way to really know this. Uh, but, you know, my gut feeling is that they don't. I mean, you know, I, I, I there's nothing in Janet Yellen's background that would lead me to believe that she has any clue. The only person, the only Federal Reserve chairman that I think knows what he's talking about is Alan Greenspan. And I think Alan Greenspan was full of shit the entire time. He was Fed chairman, and I think he knew it. Uh, but I think the power went to his head. I think he enjoyed being popular. And I think he just played along with the system. He got in bed with the devil and he he, he enjoyed uh, what happened there. But I think if you look at what Grant is saying now, you know, you read between the lines, he refuses to be specifically critical of the Fed because, you know, he can't really do that because, you know, he wrote the playbook they're all following and he was there and he's in a glass house, so he can't really throw stones. But to me... You know, he's Frankenstein, and he recognizes the monster that he created, and he knows how it's going to end. Because if you listen to him talking, we're headed for stagflation, the dollar's going down, you got to buy gold. So to me, you know, the Alan Greenspan knew all along that what he did was wrong and what Ben Bernanke did and what Janet Yellen did was even more wrong. But I have seen nothing that leads me to believe that Ben Bernanke or Janet Yellen have the faintest idea how screwed up they've got this economy. And they're going to be completely surprised by what happens. And you know what? This is not something that's going to happen you know, many, many years in the future. I think it's going to happen in the next few years. It's going to happen during this Trump administration. And it is going to make what happened in 2008 look like a Sunday school pivot. <laughs>